Hey everyone, today's episode will be another Brown Art Network episode where we'll highlight specific South Asian voices in various professions in their chosen industry. We'll hear about their creative work, how they navigated themselves through their chosen industry, and any tips they might have for other individuals in the South Asian community looking to pursue a similar career in the arts. We'll kick off this episode by introducing our guest for today, Thircha. She's a full-time dancer and choreographer, specifically in Bhangra, Karba, and Bharatanatyam. She has been part of India's Bollywood industry since 2017 and has worked on many international shows in Mumbai. When she's not choreographing performances, she is a filmmaker with various works in Bollywood music videos, commercials, and shows. Her most recent project includes an independent short film called Addiction, which she wrote, directed, and produced. This film prioritizes representation and parody. Their entire cast and crew is South Asian, hailing from five different countries, and eight of the film's 11 departments are women-led. So just to start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're trying to do as a creative? Hi, yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, So what I do is I dance, I make movies, and I do just a bunch of creative stuff in between those two worlds. And... I really love what I do. Um, and there's a lot of these things that like, I didn't realize that I would love until I started doing them. Just part of this whole crazy journey that I've been, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later throughout this episode. But what I'm trying to do as a creative, honestly, is just to do what I love and to live my best life in the way that brings me the greatest joy. And, you know, part of what I love is my culture. I love expressing myself and of course I love being a woman. So all of those things also, you know, as a byproduct kind of tie in together with, we have to change the world a little bit. We have to increase representation. We have to increase parity, but I didn't come into what I'm doing because of that. I just, I love being creative. So a creative career was kind of the only option. Going into that a little bit more, when did you know, like, was there a specific moment in your life where you, can kind of point to it and be like okay this is this is a moment when I wanted to pursue a career in dancing um, as well as filmmaking like was there a certain point in your life where you really made that decision so I started learning dance at like the age of six I think a lot of um, first generation Indians in the U.S. do the whole like Bharatanatyam classes growing up so that's what I did and I actually wasn't a huge fan of it because it felt like homework until uh, about the age of 13, which is when I got to choreograph for the first time ever. And we won at a competition that year. And ever since then, I realized that, okay, I'm, I'm really good at telling people what to do. Uh, I am creative enough to put together something artsy and it is good enough to be recognized by other people. So that just started my passion for dance. And from there, of course, you know, you go off and you do I did uh, Garba Ras and Bhangra in college and then, you know, did Bollywood dance teams and all that kind of stuff. And I was dancing full time on the side of doing my corporate career in college and all of that as well. So my nights and weekends were pretty much booked with rehearsals and shows. And I think at one point in my corporate career, I think it was about three years in, I I was just sitting at my desk and I was like, I really don't want to be doing this. This isn't fun for me. So I left and I kind of was like, I'm going to do like one year in India just to see what happens. Like I'll just show up and and just hang out that way. 
and it became two years and then three years. So I, I don't know if there's like an actual moment, but I do think that it was a series of realizations over time that naturally, you know, dovetailed into dancing as my career. And then of course with filmmaking, it was just being on set, learning different things, starting to join us a producer just to learn more. It all just kind of, I don't ever really think there was one moment where I was like, this is my true calling. That makes sense. It kind of felt like a lot of things that you did kind of growing up kind of led you to where you are right now. And it all, everything kind of felt like it had a purpose. Um, and in that aspect, is there anybody in in addition to what you kind of just said that it kind of inspires you to kind of pursue um, cre- the creative field or what kind, of, what kind of what you do right now? So what's interesting is, again, because it was so many small things that led me to where I was, there wasn't one big person that I saw them and I was like, I want to do what they do. But as I got more involved in the career and I got more involved in the art and the community and learning more. There are some people whose work uh, not inspires me to do what I'm doing, but inspires me as I'm doing it. So in dance, one artist is Galen Hooks. She is a very popular choreographer. I think she's one of the best and she works primarily out of the LA area. I've taken, um, I've trained with her in one of her, Uh, Galen Hook's method is her training academy so I've trained with her there love her process love what she does loves how she thinks if you've ever seen her choreography it's very simple movements but it's about the execution of it so that's something I aspire to do with my choreography as well and then for filmmaking or I guess rather in film and tv that crossover is Shonda Rhimes and I think a lot of us know who she is uh, Grey's Anatomy and um, uh, what's the other show? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's morning. But um, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, I love that show. They're yes. fabulous. I mean, she's done so many shows, but she is such a fabulous mind behind these shows, and they have a really good cult following for reasons, right? Like she's just a fabulous person to work with. She's very Type A, just. They're both kind of very smart, very driven, very detail-oriented, which is something that I like to think that I am as well. So seeing how these two women of color make these strides in their industry in a very real salient way really inspires me to do not just my best work, but to improve what my best work can be. Right. No, I, yeah, that's awesome. I was going to say, like, I, I feel like a lot of people tend to when asked this question kind of tend to like be like oh I'm inspired by my parents I'm inspired by like people I physically know but it's also good to have like I mean there are it's not like a new concept to see POC people in like creative fields it's just not like just having that as an inspiration is just something that is great and awesome and yeah yeah I don't don't think there's anything wrong with being inspired by your parents especially if your parents are super cool too but um for me it's always about if there's something within my grasp right now, it's not big enough to, well, there's this, you know, it's not big enough to scare me into yeah. action, right? It's like, oh yeah, I can, I can access that whenever I want. And right. so for me, it doesn't push me to get outside of my comfort zone, take big risks, do something dumb once in a while. So, right. 
Yeah, I was growing up, how did you feel about like embracing your South Asian identity while also growing up in a Western lifestyle? Like, is there a kind of, I don't know, I feel like everyone has a very unique uh, story about, you know, how they came about their identity and how they like kind of balance that Indian and also American side of them. So what's your story when it comes to that? I'll have to admit, I didn't really have a moment where I was like, I have to balance this. Um, It was something that kind of always was in balance for me. So it, it, it was part of my upbringing. Like I trained in Bharatanatyam. I went to Sunday school at the Monday and like, you know, I didn't love it. A lot of it was, you know, like you're a kid, you want to go outside and play. Uh, you don't want to get <laughs> talked at by adults. But, you know, it was part of my upbringing. I learned about culture, religion. I went to functions, you know, at the various cultural centers. Um, so I grew up in Tampa, Florida. And so we have um, a very big mandir that was made, I, I don't even know, like 20 years ago at this point. So it's like the whole foundation. Oh, sorry, it's so that Mandir is the center of the brown community over there. Um, and for me, it was just, it was part of life. Like every weekend I'd go there and I'd learn from there. I'd take classes. I even did like my SATs, um, you know, test prep and stuff from an uncle who was at Mandir. So that was just part of my identity. And then of course I went to school. I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and People just, I don't know, maybe I just lived a very charmed life, but there were definitely moments, of course, where I felt like, oh, I don't want to eat Indian food every day for dinner, or I don't want to be an Indian princess for Halloween. Like, you know, the the classic little riffs that come in there. But honestly, it wasn't something that I had to necessarily embrace just because it was part of my life. It was something that I just grew into as I became more mature and understanding of the importance of culture. Yeah, I totally understand that. I feel like that was a similar process um, for me as like, I also did, I also train, I'm trained in Bharatanatyam as well. Oh, yeah. So it was just like, <laughs> so it was just like a thing. I we I think we also did like Saturday school with like Tamil school. And it was kind of just ingrained in our life to the fact where we didn't have to point it out, like you said. So I can totally understand that it was just like a part of life growing up and that was how it was done. Um, but kind of going more into the career-specific type questions we wanted to ask, how was the dance process or, like, the filmmaking process that you kind of do? Like, how was that like? And has South Asian American, like, being of a South Asian American, has that influenced the way that you've kind of produced some of your work? So and this is going to be such a cop-out answer, but the process for creating, whether for choreography or film, and even in between those two areas, it really just... It really just depends on the project and the parameters. So sometimes, you know, I join a project and I have no say. My job is just to execute what happens. And it's like, here is the list of people to call and you have to make sure they arrive at set on time. And if they're late, it's your fault. And that's the extent of it. Or it can be someone saying, I really like this song. I want to do Bhangra on this choreography. I know nothing about Bhangra. Teach me. Do whatever choreography you want, but I want to do it on this song. So it just, it really depends because creativity presents itself so differently depending on where you have space to be creative. And a lot of times, to be honest, working in a creative industry is not about being creative. A lot of it is about following guidelines set by someone else until, you know, you get to the very top and even then 
it's all it's all a chain of command at some point. Someone's telling someone else, someone else, someone else. So, I mean, maybe you guys will have to follow me one day on a project to really get a sense of how that works. But um, I can talk about the process that I did for my short film, which um, I started a little over a year ago now. So I, I started a short film while I was in India called Addiction. It is a film without any dialogue, but the story is told in entirely through a composition of music that plays the entire time. And I, my approach to this film was actually apparently a little bit unorthodox, but I had written a one page concept, pitched it to a couple of people. I thought if I can get some friends and a really nice quality iPhone, like this will be a really great fun project and word of mouth spread. People really liked the idea and it kind of accidentally blew up into a 70-person project with people from... We're coordinating across five different countries right now and entirely South Asian cast and crew. So it's just kind of been the small idea that kind of exploded. And my experience with this to make it happen has been, this is getting way too big. How do I make it happen? So it's just been, all right, I have these people in this location and these are the skills they can do. Let me coordinate with them. Here are the logistics for this. I need to make sure people are fed. I don't know anyone. So I ask someone else to figure out some vendors for me. So it's a lot of, I don't know, creativity is a lot of figuring it out. And I mean, maybe the biggest takeaway is just dream big and see what happens, which I know, again, it's a little bit of a cop out, but in my case, it's proven to be pretty true. I was going to say, like, when it comes to like the, I, I like, I appreciate that you brought up the whole, like, there's two sides of the coin. Like, if you could either, it just depends on the situation, like, depending on who and how much command they're giving you with your creativity. Like, which one do you prefer uh, with between the two? Like, do you prefer to have all the creative justice and just kind of go with it or have more of a structured kind of like, okay, you got to do this and this and that? Like, which one do you, like, prefer? Yeah, that's a good question. So in all honesty... I mean, I would love to have full creative control, but in all honesty, I think I would prefer something where I contribute a part to a larger picture because if there's something else that I've learned, it's that uh, I have a lot of opinions, but not all of them are good. And so working with other people who can, who are at a level who can check me and say, I don't like this or, oh, that's not well-informed or here's a better idea that just makes the work so much better. And that's how my short film got to the level it was, was I, yes, it was my project and I was technically, you know, the one leading all of it, but I brought people up to my level to help me make all of it happen. Right. And they, they came in with a lot of opinions and they're like, you need this, you need this. You can't just do this. We need to get more funding because we want to be able to do X, Y, Z. And between the costumes, the set, finding more actors, like hiring a composer to make a completely original composition from scratch. Like these are the elements of filmic hiring fancy cameras, like big industry equipment right. cameras, all of that raised the game. It changed the playing field that we were on. So if I had just done it by myself, yes, I would have been very creative and it would have been nice to say, but I want to work in a team where everyone else is smarter than me. 
kind of going into that, like, are you guys like in the process of doing it right now? Or is it already out? Like, where's the, are you guys in pre-production, post-production? Like, where are you guys at at that short? Another good question. So, so right now we're in the post-production process. We finished shooting the entire thing over two shoot schedules in Mumbai last year. And then Mm -hmm. We were supposed to get all the edits done and the composition done earlier this year. But then with COVID, I had I actually had less than 24 hours to, I was out shooting. I had to fly home to Mumbai and then fly from Mumbai back to the U.S. And I had less than 24 hours heads up to just get my entire life in order and leave. So right. it's been really hard. We have been coordinating a little bit back and forth there, but essentially coming back to the U.S., and not being able to also fundraise to the extent that we wanted to. We we paused our fundraising efforts just because there's a lot of other big issues going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have slowly picked that back up. So the idea is, um, do you guys know what, well, maybe I should explain. So you have pre-production, which is where you plan it, production, which is where you shoot, and post-production, which is where you put it all together. So we are in the put it all together phase. But in order to do that, we are actually fundraising so that we can pay the right people to get the job done. So it's been a wild ride. We have a new editor who's US-based, who's going to be easier for me to coordinate with. And we're in the process of pulling together some very cool composers and having that. And once that's done, then we'll be able to record all of these things with the different musicians and then we have to pay for things like color grading. So when you watch a movie or a TV show, the way that they edit the colors on screen, it's kind of like when you Photoshop or filter a picture, um, but a very high-tech version of that. The colors that you see on screen affects what you feel and what you see, and it's probably like one of the most important parts of filmmaking. So we have to find someone who is willing to work within our budget who is also talented enough to make this happen. So it's been a crazy journey, but... uh, I cannot wait until it's done. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I was going to, I guess without going, but like not to go too, in, too much into and like spoil the storyline. Is there like a little like synopsis you can give us a little teaser? I absolutely can give you that. So we can't give away the full story. You're right. There's a very, it's very <laughs> cool. Like I'm really excited about it and clearly, you know, 70 other people are too, but <laughs> not to, you know, toot my own horn. But um, there's this thing in the film world called a log line. And it's a single sentence that gives you an idea of what it's about. So our log line is an impressionable workaholic unplugs from his mundane routine after a transformative night out. Okay. Um, All right. I will leave that. And also whatever you think it is. It's not what you think it is. So it's very exciting, but you guys will just have to wait till it's released. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, so like, oh, intrigued. Whoa, right. Yeah. That's exactly what I want you to be. So that's right. cool. Yeah. But kind of back, sorry, I like, I like going back um, into the film. I'm just kind of curious. You said um, you filmed over like, or not film, you work across with people like in five different countries. And then like also the pandemic kind of sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did you have to kind of like, I, I'm sure that it was a big obstacle in your like production process. Like how did you kind of have to like navigate through that, um, especially working with five different countries or people? So 
everyone was in India when we were doing the shooting all throughout, you know, last year. But when we went into post-production and then when I came back, I actually, I realized that I needed help. So I pulled people onto my team to help with the post-production, to the sound production and with the marketing and social media. So we have a bunch of people on the post-production marketing side and it actually hasn't been that difficult to coordinate just because everything is online now. And luckily we're not doing any of the physical stuff anymore, but it does present its challenges. It's always easier to create in person. We have a little bit of, how do I explain this? There's a little bit of a lag in communication because of time differences. Someone will Mm -hmm. send something when they go to bed And then I'll be busy all day. And then by the time I see it and respond, they're fast asleep. So then we have to wait for them to wake up and get their day started. So, I mean, honestly, it hasn't been bad because I've been so lucky to work with really great people who share the same kind of values and principles and respect for each other that I have, Mm -hmm. which I guess is probably an important part of filmmaking is be careful who you pick. But when you do, it's magical. So it, it honestly hasn't been that bad. That's good to hear. I mean, I there's so many. I mean, we just see it in the entertainment industry already. Like, I know, like, the latest big news is that Warner Bros. has started to release all of its movies at once on HBO Max, which is crazy, because that means that theaters are dead. But, um, but yeah, no, there's just so many changes happening in Hollywood and filmmaking process in general. So it's very... Um, it's a weird time to be new to the yeah. US-based industry. I've, I've been talking with a lot of people and they're essentially like all the rules that we played by that you had to learn before, they're all out the window. You are on your yeah. own. Kid. And I'm like, all right, well, that's nothing new. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> It's been the common trend for this year. Let's be real. Um, just mm-hmm. all the rules are out the window. But yeah, no. Um, is there any like ties or experiences from dance that you kind of pull into filmmaking yeah so to be honest dance is what led to filmmaking just being on set and working with people and doing productions and stuff helped me realize that I really did love filmmaking and that I'd kind of always been a producer like when you're managing logistics and pulling people together and making it happen and finding a venue as a leader in dance you're essentially a producer and so realizing that kind of I was like oh this is what I want to do so I mean I love both but I do think that having a big background in dance has shaped the way that I do filmmaking so my personal opinion is that being a decision maker in the film or tv world a lot of it is about opinions what do I want to see how do I want to tell the story what do I like what do I don't like what do I not like? So the opinions that I have are heavily informed by the things that I've done in dance. For example, I prefer long shots. And those are shots that essentially there's the camera doesn't cut to anything else. It just continues running and the camera moves with the people. And I like my camera to dance with the characters because that is such an important part of storytelling. I also, I mean, I love choreographing for cameras. So even that inter play there of choreographing for a stage show or a live performance is very different than choreographing for a camera because there's a whole other element you have to consider but also you like 
you guys have seen recordings of live performances and you're like, yeah, that was great, but it would have been better live. And then, you know, there's just a whole different element of it, but uh, all of that to say, it just, it's influenced my opinion and how I do my thing, which allows me to have a unique, maybe not unique, nothing is unique in filmmaking, but have my own perspective on how I tell stories. Um, I guess kind of backtracking a little more, how is it, because we talked about your transition from like dance to to filmmaking, but like, I know you kind of mentioned like how you were working more industry job, or sorry, I don't know what the vernacular you use, but corporate. Yeah, corporate, yeah, corporate job. (laughs) Yeah, but like, what was that transition like going from economics and like finance, like that kind of world to kind of an entertainment like industry? Like what, what was that transition like? Was there any like obstacles that you had to like kind of overcome as you yeah. went through that process or was it more just like a instinct gut reaction gotta do it gotta go for it I mean like, it was wild I will not lie <laughs> when you go from something that is so heavily regimented like corporate America with rules and hours and someone else is deciding your projects and you know I'm a very type a or I guess I was a very type a person and I loved all of that structure And then going to the film industry and not just any film industry, but the Bollywood film industry where there are no rules in play. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pressures and influences, but there's no rules. You can do whatever you want and no one is going to tell you what to do until you're on set, of course. And they'll tell you everything to do. But to have all that freedom, but also have no direction. There's no one way to get into filmmaking, right? Everyone has a different journey. So to go from a very type A to a very type not A environment was incredibly jarring for me. It was really tough. And part of me was like, yeah, yeah, I know it's going to be difficult. Like, I know I've been to India before. I know, you know, there's a lot of flexibility and I'm going to have to fight my way through and figure it out. But being mentally ready for something doesn't necessarily translate to being emotionally ready for it. So it was a really tough, I want to say like even the first year or 18 months was really difficult for me to fully embrace the kinds of things that I had to figure out in order to be successful. So, I mean, and this isn't just, you know, endemic to Bollywood, it's any creative industry is pitching yourself. I mean, I guess you could argue that's corporate too, but pitching yourself every single day, finding new clients you know, negotiating and, you know, negotiations get really heated and making sure that you're, you actually get paid at the end of the day. People will promise you pay and walk away. There's been gigs I haven't been paid for, you know, three, two years ago, like the last time that I talked to the person and they just ghosted me. And then of course you land a job or a gig and it lasts for the duration of the shoot. Once the shoot's over, bye-bye, here's your your check if they pay you. And then, then you're like, okay, what next? Like, can I, can I get the next job? And it's like, well, we have to hire for the next job. Or I don't know. It was, I, I say this not to sound so negative, but it is tough and it is a lot of chaos and you have to be willing to, I think I was forced to stick up for myself and believe in myself a lot more than I realized I needed to. I thought like, you know, going into India, I was like, I'm really confident. I left my corporate job to, to become a dancer And then I got there and I was like, oh, like, honey, this isn't going to cut it. Honestly, the going through this transition has been probably 
like even more than college has been like the single most defining experience if I had to narrow it down of who I am because I love the person I am now was it fun no but I love what I do I love how much I advocate for myself I love the people that I work with I love that I'm able to figure out who are the right people to work with because I've you know learned to trust my gut a lot more but man like was it wild and was it worth it and I wish I don't have to do it again but I probably will again in the future (laughs) It's just ongoing, just a thing. No, that's awesome. That's so great that, like, it's, again, proof that it, it's possible. <laughs> it's proof oh, that yeah. it's possible. It's Read possible and- if it's hard and no one t- tells you, you right. know, what's going on. I mean, they'll tell you everything about corporate and all the, all the little things you got to do, but right. in creative industries, you just got to... It's a jump. You, know, <laughs> you just got to go for it. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a hard mental block to get over, but we'll mm-hmm. get there eventually. <laughs> but- oh, for sure. Out of curiosity, um, the moment when you were like wanted to drop your corporate job and kind of do full time dance rather than just have it as like a, mm-hmm. I do full time uh, corporate full time dance. What was kind of like the thoughts in your head? Like, did you feel like the risk? Like, it felt risky, or like kind of what did you kind of feel? Cause I feel like that's a lot of questions. I mean, at least a lot of people might be thinking like. Because a lot of people think, oh, like, in, especially in the South Asian community, they're like, you got to do a job that's, like, secure, financially secure, and do, like, all these, like, things. So, like, kind of going away from that traditional thought process and going into, like, what you really want to do, how was that, like, how did you kind of go through that or navigate through that? Yeah, so this is a, I mean, it's such a great question. It's a very big question. So, <laughs> the... I will say I did not just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to leave my job and move to India and then hop on a plane the next day. Like it did not happen like that. It was the process of, I had reached kind of like a natural breaking point with my career where I was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm done for now. And then I, it actually took me like, I think like nine months between when I left corporate to when I actually got on the plane to India. And in that time, I had like some other commitment. I had a lot of dance commitments and shows and stuff, actually, that I was like still in the process of doing. I want to say I was smart about it. Looking back, I would have actually been a lot smarter. But I made sure I had money saved up and starter money to fund an entire year in India. Because if I couldn't figure it out fast enough, I didn't want money or the need for money to limit the growth that I could have. Because when you're constantly thinking, I need money, I need this gig, I need a job, you're thinking of small, quick cash grabs. You're not thinking of bigger picture. And to get all the way up, you kind of need to be able to support yourself and say, you know what, I can take free work here, or I can go and shadow this set. And I mean, this is my experience. Maybe someone has a completely different one. But buying yourself the luxury of pursuing your career in a thoughtful way means you literally have to have, you know, a little bit of reserve cash. So I made sure I had that before I went off to India. I also, I mean, so part of the reason my departure was delayed is because I was applying for the LSATs over the summer. Mm -hmm. I was taking the LSATs over the summer and then applying for law school. So I really thought I'm going to go for one year. I'm going to get into law school and then I'll come back. I'll just fly directly to said city of law school. And then I'll be a lawyer. And like, this will be a great break between corporate and law. And like jokes on me. Um, I, I did get into a law school and it was a really nice one with like a scholarship and everything. And 
after that first year in India, I was like, well, I still have a lot of work to do. And so maybe I just defer it for a year. So I did that. And then second year came around and I was like, I don't know if I want to come back. So it was just one of those things where I went and I actually had the support of my family and friends because they're like, oh, you're going to go for a year. You're going to do law school. I thought I would do that. So I, I kind of had a black backup plan. And then after I realized that I don't want the backup plan is when I kind of let that go. So it worked out really well for me. I didn't plan it so like cerebrally or meticulously. I wasn't, you know, that clever about it, but I did have a backup plan that was socially acceptable, if you will. Not that that was a huge thing either way. My parents have always said, like, whatever you want to do, like, we'll do it. And then I had cash money. And I made sure that I knew a couple of people or had something figured out in Bollywood. But in making that decision to jump over there, I don't know if it was a big one at all. It was just kind of, I I am dancing full time. And a lot of the dancing I was doing was unpaid you know you're on a dance team and you get paid for the gigs but not the rehearsals and so it was like this would be fun to get paid for all the time that I'm putting in if I'm going to law school anyways I will never ever have an opportunity to pursue this and you know I was 25 at the time so which is kind of old for a career dancer so I said like god damn it like let's go and I did that's awesome. And the reason why I asked that was because I feel like there's a lot of people out there, especially that are in the, like the dance, like that's done dancing all their life, like, like just kind of going like personalizing it. Like I've always wanted to do like a career in dance, but like always growing up, people were like, no, Kirthi, you can't do Indian dancing in America. Like that doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> and I was like, I always believed that. And now I'm seeing like you and other people who are like, in, like doing Indian dancing, in, like a Western area. And you're seeing it's possible. So just kind of thinking maybe I can do it as well. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of thinking that now. Yeah, so thank I mean, you for answering that. It's absolutely possible, dude. Like, um, you know, over here in LA, Joya Kazi is, you know, the Bollywood dancer, you know, in, in LA. She's the one to go to if you want Bollywood dancing. I mean, I hope to work with her one day. That would be fabulous. But she's making huge strides on this side. And that's part of the reason why I chose Bollywood is I was like, they're going to appreciate, you know, all the dance forms I've trained in. Little did I realize that I would actually be kind of unique. Um, in As much as the Bollywood film industry loves Bhangra, there wasn't a single trained Bhangra dancer in the industry, at least not that I've ever come into contact with. So I ended up having a niche in Bollywood kind of by accident. You know, being one of a million dancers, if there was, if there was like, you know, teams of people doing all of the dance styles that I did, I think my journey would have been very different as well because you have so many new experiences and like you've done so much kind of into the in the creative field what is like the craziest from one of your most favorite experiences so far that you've kind of had oh you know what I wish I could tell you some of my craziest experiences um so a lot of people are very willing to talk about you know their clients or which celebrities they've interfaced with and I mean I do I do have you know on my little credits list the people that I've worked with there is one experience I wish I could tell you that I cannot for confidentiality reasons. But what I will tell you is I think as a filmmaker, the craziest experience I've had is walking around on the set of my own production. And this is something I, I did so many times. But like I told you, it was a one page idea of like, eh, this happens and then this happens. And 
an iPhone and two people to help me out. And then to be walking around on a set where people are milling about and you have professional industry equipment and people are setting up lights and shade bo- shadow boxes or whatever they're called and their camera is getting set up and we have a guy whose job is to chaperone the camera from the rental house and a hair and makeup crew and my actors and I have people who assist me who come to me and say Trisha what do you need and are you have you eaten today and are you good and this is what I'm going to do next is that is that cool with you and just to be in the middle of all of it there was there were many moments where I would just kind of stop and I would you know I'd put my hands on my forehead and just kind of be like, what have I done? Like, I <laughs> I don't know. What did I do? This was, um, it's, I don't know, on TikTok where you do the little pointer fingers at each other. Yeah. Little, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of old, but I'm figuring out the TikTok thing. So like that where you're just like, oh shit. That's just like, I can't, there's nothing I can compare that experience to of just like, I did this. I don't know what I'm doing. There's there's a little bit of that of like, this is the first time I've run an entire production by myself. And so I had that throughout all the different locations we were shooting at, you know, in between managing things and yelling at people and all that fun stuff. You'll get yelled at a lot if you're in the film or TV industry, but on our set, and there's so many people because it was word of mouth that were brought to this that I met because of this project. And what was really cool about it is um, there's someone, well, there's someone on all sets, but in India, we call them a dress dada, the guy who, you know, irons the clothes and makes sure it fits right and does a little bit of tailoring and stuff. So our dress dada, I found out, was actually the same guy that Rithik Roshan calls to be his dress dada on all his sets. This is all word of mouth. Someone told me this and I was like, holy crap. So this guy... like he was working on my set and granted these aren't big glamorous jobs they are very like pay the day rate and go but he did all of Rithik Roshan's work and it was when someone told me this I looked at him and I was like damn like this guy probably has more industry experience than our entire team put together and he's sitting here like so humbly like asking me what I want taking orders being very polite just sitting being out of the way watching everything happen and like, who am I? Like, there's a lot of imposter syndrome happening at this moment, which I think is cool to see something so big happen. And then for you to be like, I am so humbled by what is going on. Like, yes, I did it. But like, this is way beyond me. Like, it is moving without my assistance. And I have done this. So I think that was a really cool experience. That's awesome. No, that's amazing. Like I can, I can imagine, like, it's just like an overwhelming, like, whoa, like what happened? What's going on? Um, but no, that's, that's so cool. Also, I was going to add that just kind of going off that, I guess a little bit, but um, like I was a South Asian American and this might not totally apply to you because you do work in Bollywood instead of like Hollywood and like in the, in the world of the U.S. or whatever, but like, I'm sure you have opinions of like, what do you, how do you feel in terms of like the representation of South Asian Americans, especially in like in either dance in America or filmmaking? I mean, yes, in Bollywood, I do, do see a lot of South Asians considering, you know, where we are. <laughs> but, you know, the original reason why I went to India was because I figured that's where my work would be appreciated, right? Like I wanted, I wanted to go where there was an audience for the kind of work that I did. And 
what's interesting is there's very heavy Western influence in mm. Bollywood as well. So again, the fact that I was apparently the sole Bhangra instructor in all of Bollywood, like goes to show how there are gaps of representation in there. And, you know, there's a huge conversation going right now about the lack of representation of the Thumbel community in Bollywood mm. and mainstream media. And um, I won't get too much into all of that, but it's really important to be aware that just because something is classified as South Asian doesn't necessarily make it representative of all of South Asia. And even, you know, the Northeastern um, states in India, the, you know, the Seven Sisters, they rarely get any representation in Bollywood, right? So it's a work in progress for sure. Uh, and of course it is something that my work entirely gears towards is, you know, representation, but also parody and making sure women are also represented on screen and South Asian women are represented as more than just, you know, a Hollywood stereotype or a Bollywood, you know, glamour item, right? There's more to yeah. us than that. Like even between the three of us, like, you know, we're all very different people. Yeah. But, you know, with all the work that I'm doing with my film, hopefully with the many films, you know, I will create in the future. And then also even with um, a project that I'm doing called Trich Gifts. So mm. they're, you know what gifts are, right? On yeah, social yeah. media. So I actually started an initiative where I actually shoot and produce gifts of South Asian culture. And right now it's mostly on dance styles. And if you go on Instagram or TikTok or any of these apps, Facebook, and you search for gift stickers, like in that little button, and you search Tricha or Bhangra or Garba or Bharatanatyam, you'll see my gifts come up. And they're all accurate clothing, accurate dance moves. Some of them are just funny ones and reactions. But I wanted to have more of brown people and brown culture in gifts because that's such a heavy influence on what modern day culture is like, right? The internet is a heavy influence. Memes are, gifts are, it's a, it's a way of communicating. And I never saw any, well, I never saw any Bhangra ones for sure. I saw some really offensive, like bale bale, like yeah. weird one. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that's not what I do. Let's change the narrative here. So it's just one of many small projects that I'm doing, but I'm not the only one either. Other people have started creating gifts as well. And everyone is doing a small part to to increase that representation daily. So if you're watching more work by brown artists or brown indie artists, or you know, you follow a brown creative on social media, like you like their work, follow, share, subscribe, you know, all the all the little things, heart save. If you do that, that in and of itself is helping communicate to the bigger players in these industries of these are the kinds of stories we want to see people know what you watch and if you focus on watching that kind of work and supporting that they're going to want to create more and if they want to create more they're going to have to come to brown people to do that so I guess this is like inadvertently a plug for like support brown creators but support brown creators (laughs) (laughs) yeah even listening to this podcast it's a way of supporting brown creators yeah exactly Oh, well, as we kind of wrap up this episode for today, um, we kind of wanted to ask you a few, like, concluding questions. And I guess, like, what do you kind of see in your future, especially as you kind of wrap up the production for Addiction? And, like, what do you kind of see kind of going forward? 
Well, what I'd love to see is a completed film, potentially on a streaming service, but a girl can help. Um, do What I do see is a completed donation box. So if anyone's listening and wants to donate, please do. Um, but actually, I just moved to Hollywood a week ago. So I am honestly, I'm just taking it day by day. And, you know, as we said at the beginning of this, like, Everything we know has kind of been thrown out the window in 2020. So honestly, the best thing I see is, you know, success in my future. But I, I, I don't really know what that looks like yet. So I don't know. I guess stay tuned, see what happens. Yeah, no, of course. Do you have any advice for other South Asian creators out there trying to, you know, just getting their foot in the door? Yeah. Um, actually, it's so funny that you asked this question because over the summer I created a creative mentorship program that is specifically geared to helping South Asians figure out creative careers. Like that's, that's exactly what I have been doing. And something, I mean, I tell them a lot of things every time we're on a call, I'm like, here's some advice and do this and do that. But I think, it kind of ties back to my story of how I ended up transitioning over, which is, you know, be passionate about what you do, love what you do, but you have to be smart about it too. And so when you're planning for a creative career or you want to pursue one, you need to pursue it with the exact same attention to detail, time investment, thoughtfulness that you do a quote unquote normal career, right? Like we go to college for four years and we go to high school and you know, whatever schools before all of that for years before getting a paid job. And even then the job application process takes a while. And so I'm not saying work for free, but I'm saying you you have to put in time in perfecting your craft. You have to be a business person. You have to know how to negotiate. You have to know what your audience is. It's a lot like being an entrepreneur. Being a creative is being an entrepreneur, to be honest. And, you know, making sure that you're financially stable to get started in this industry is gonna allow you to actually grow as an artist. And I think like above all, like the number one thing I would say is like, trust your gut. Don't let anyone make you like think, take new information and, and change as you, you know, learn new things, but trust your gut at the end of the day, like mastering that skill early will help you avoid getting yourself into bad situations. It'll help you actively cultivate a skill that is going to be so important in a chaotic environment. Well, that was all the questions we had. So thank you so much, Richa, for coming onto our podcast and diving into your career and experiences. Thank you so much, Kirti and Sneha. I really, really enjoyed it. This was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Thritcha, for coming onto our podcast and diving into your career and experiences. It was really fun getting to know you a little bit about you and your work. Um, for our listeners, go check out Thritcha's website, thritchakumar.com, to get a more in-depth summary of her work as well as the various services that she provides. Thritcha is also fundraising to complete the post-production process of her short film, Addiction. So if you're interested in helping her fundraising effort, go check out her website as well. And with that, we'll conclude this episode and we'll see you all in the next one.